back to Fringes of the Faith, a podcast and video cast dedicated to talking about some of the strange stuff in the Bible and sometimes the controversial stuff going on in our world. I'm Paul Henderson, administrative pastor at Capstone Church, and sitting next to me is, of course, the legendary oh my Parky Coburn, Goodness. senior pastor oh, at Capstone. Man. Oh, yeah, boy, he's full of it today, isn't he? Okay. Well, today... Great to see you guys. Anyway. <laughs> today... Pastor Parkey, we're going to ask and hopefully answer a question that I've seen floating around the internet about God and abortion. Okay. Yeah, it's a really hot topic. It is. And so here's this question. Is God pro-choice or is he pro-life? So what do you guys think out there? Let us know in the comments section below if you're watching on YouTube. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. So here we are in a historical moment in time when the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision looks like it's poised to be overturned. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's, it's an amazing moment in our time. Mm-hmm. And here's something that most people don't understand. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, then really what that means is what the current sitting Supreme Court is saying is that the Supreme Court justices in 1973 overstepped its authority by taking an issue that was at the state level and elevating it up to a national standard. Mm -hmm. And so if you went to grade school anytime before 2008, probably, you would have learned that each individual state in the United States, they have certain constitutionally protected rights, which allow them to self-govern, okay? I mean, why else would we have a position called governor? Right. Why else would we have a state representative or state senator? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is a constitutionally protected, uh, it's constitutionally protected for each state to be able to govern themselves. And so the real question being addressed by today's Supreme Court is whether or not each individual state within the union has a right to enact its own laws as long as they're not unconstitutional. Right. Does that make correct. sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. And that constitutional protection is covered in the 10th Amendment mm-hmm. of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Taking you back to school mm-hmm. a little bit. 10th Amendment. The 10th Amendment. Yeah. Now, in 1973, the sitting Supreme Court then took the right of the states to enact its own laws to govern its own state citizens away when it came to the issue of abortion. Right. Yeah. Essentially creating this perception that abortion is constitutionally protected under federal law. That's the perception Mm -hmm. that many, many people have. It's not federal law. Right. As a matter of fact, this year, just a, a few weeks ago, Uh, the U.S. Senate proposed a law, voted on a law that would make abortions federally protected under under law, and it was struck down. Mm -hmm. So it's not federal law. Right. And it doesn't sound like it's going to be anytime soon. No, no, it's not federal law. It's not it's not been uh, enacted uh, through the legislature. You know, your legislature is primarily your lawmaking body. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that's what it's designed to be because it's representatives of the people and a plurality of representation, mm-hmm. you know, not uh, not just one man uh, sitting in an office, but a plurality right. of all the states. And they're really supposed to be uh, that uh, body which 
uh, enacts law mm-hmm. because it's the most representative body that we have. Right. And how do those representatives reach to reach those positions? They're elected. They are elected. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that since Roe v. Wade, since that decision, our country has been operating under this false assumption that abortion is federally protected, that it's a federal federally protected right under the U.S. Constitution and presumably found somewhere in the Bill of Rights. Presumably. Yeah. Uh, really, you have to, from my understanding of this uh, situation, you know, you have to go all the way back and try to pin it under under everybody's guaranteed life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you don't, if you can't somehow pin it underneath that, then there's no other place really in the in the Bill of Rights that you can that it fits anywhere else. It's guaranteed. Now, the Roe v. Wade decision protected. That they were pointing to the Fourteenth Amendment, and they were citing right to privacy or equal protection under the, under the law. Um, however, in the same ruling in Roe v. Wade, it stated that this right to privacy or equal protection under the law extended only to the first trimester of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. How'd they come up with that arbitrary number? Uh, well, th- that's a good question. I mean, what you do is you, you have people that, are not doctors or medical people or anything making these kind of decisions, mm-hmm. you know, so that's a great question. How do you come up with that? Yeah. I think it's using the same arbitrary ideology of trying to tie abortion to the 14th amendment itself. Right. Exactly. In fact, the 14th amendment has nothing to do with the right to privacy when it comes to making decisions about pregnancy. Mm-hmm. You don't see that in there anywhere. Right. Um, here's what the 14th Amendment actually says, quote, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, like you said, liberty or property without due process of law nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. How this is used to say that abortion is constitutionally protected is is a farce. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's exactly what the current Supreme Court is considering. Is abortion constitutionally protected, or is it up to each individual state to make a determination as to the legality and requirements for abortion procedures as protected under the 10th amendment? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, You're right. I mean, you know, the, the Supreme court, their decision is to, is to make their job, excuse me, is to make decisions based upon constitutionality. Right. You know, I may not be saying that word right, but you guys understand what I'm, what I mean. And, uh, you know, uh, they're not, their job is not to decide, uh, uh, when life begins or, 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 or any of those other kind of things. They, they're just guardians of the constitution. Right. And part of the constitution is the 10th amendment, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And it's very clear about the state's rights to govern themselves without interference from the federal level. 
Yeah. So the real question is this. This is what they're they're considering. Did the Supreme Court in 1973 interfere with the 10th Amendment by using the 14th Amendment as justification? Mm -hmm. And I believe that when you look at this issue from this perspective, it clearly takes all the emotional arguments out, such as privacy or equal protection. It takes those arguments out of the equation because we're really, we're just left with a simple yes or no. Right. Yeah. And so if the, if the answer is yes, the Supreme Court interfered with states' rights to enact laws to govern themselves, then Roe v. Wade has to be tossed out. It has to. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, it's not that the Supreme Court is trying to enforce an ideology on people. The Supreme Court is a group of people that are not supposed to enact law or make a law. They're supposed to enforce law. And uh, so that that's their job. Mm -hmm. You know, their their job is to is to determine whether something uh, uh, is law of the United States federally protected, or is it not? Mm -hmm. And the right to abortion uh, is does not appear to be a federally protected or a right. And so here's the misnomer, I think. Um, that, that people are confused about. And we really need to be informed on this because if Roe v. Wade is tossed out, that doesn't mean that abortion automatically becomes a federal crime. Right. It doesn't mean abortion becomes a state crime. Right. It doesn't mean abortion becomes a crime at all. It simply means that each individual state has the right to enact laws either to, one, provide full access to abortions, two, limited access to abortions, or three, no access to abortions. Right. End of story. That's mm -hmm. all that it means. Right. Okay. So lately, and this is why we're going to, this is why we're moving into this, okay. uh, this discussion gotcha. here on Fringes of the Faith. Lately, this issue of abortion has hit the religious nerve. Mm hmm I've seen some people posting their opinions on whether God is pro-life or pro-choice. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what God's position okay, is. Okay, let's do it. Okay. I think one of the most expressive scripture about God's view on the womb is found in Psalm 127, verse 3, that says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. It's a reward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the Lord is saying... Uh, that children are a reward from him. Now, all of us know of circumstances and situations and people in which a child has come along when it wasn't expected. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, God is, is the type of God. It's, this is one of the most amazing things about him, that if we follow his ways and we trust him, he has the most incredible way of turning something around that we thought was going to be a terrible thing and actually using it for good, making it to be a blessing in our lives. That's right. That's good. So God views the fruit of the womb as a reward, yeah. not a curse. That's right. So no matter what the circumstances were that brought forth the conception of a child, God views the unborn as a reward. Mm -hmm. That means he values the life that is in the womb, right? Yeah. If he didn't value it, he wouldn't attach the word reward to it. That's right. And here's something else that we need to, to grab a hold of. If he didn't value it, then abortion would have been normalized way before 1973 mm -hmm. because this country was founded on the principles of God. Yes. Right? 
And so if, if he didn't value life in the womb, then abortion would be normal. I mean, maybe it would be federally protected. I don't know, but it's not. Yeah, exactly. Another expression of God's position on abortion is found in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, which says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nation. So the Lord knew Jeremiah before he formed him in his mother's womb. This tells us that the Lord has something to do with the formation of a child in its mother's womb. Mm-hmm. He does. You know, the book of uh, the book of Psalms tells us that, you know, the Lord saw the unformed body. Mm-hmm. You know, he saw unformed. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a process that the body goes under. Uh, and just because there's a process that the body goes through, you know, to be formed does not mean uh, that it is, it is lifeless. I mean, as a matter of fact, we know from biology that when something is lifeless, there's no life in it, it, it doesn't grow. Yeah, I'm sitting here trying to think of an example. It, it begins to deteriorate the law of entropy. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's other laws that govern that. Then when something dies, it begins to deteriorate. And so the very fact that the, the child is growing in the womb shows that there's life. And, I, you know, I go uh, maybe even a step farther uh, in my argument. There is no beginning to life. I mean, when it says... Uh, when does life begin? Some people say at conception. I disagree. I don't think life ever ended mm-hmm. since Adam and Eve and since humanity ex- has existed. Life has never ended. It's been a transfer. Mm-hmm. It's been a transfer of living cells yeah. from man to a woman. Right. And they join together and this becomes their own individual. Mm hmm part of themselves. Yeah. So it's a transfer. It's they're transferring cells to cells, extending life. And then it just keeps going on. It's a cycle. And so I don't think life ever ended. I, you know, that's very insightful. I think that's, that's really cool. You know, we know the sperm is alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know the egg is alive. That's right. So why would we think the union of those two is not exactly is not alive? There, there, there's no scientific evidence that I know. Of. Let's talk about scientific. There's no scientific evidence that I know that proves that life starts at any other place other than at conception. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you think about the sperm being alive, the egg being alive, they come together, then what they produce is alive. Yeah, so death never entered the equation. Never entered the equation. And so you have to have death of a life in order to have a beginning of a life. Mm-hmm. And so life never ceased. It's just, it has, I hate to use the it's word just, evolved, but it gets transferred. It's and, transferred. Yeah. That's a good word. That's a good word. It's transferred. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is when two people come together, uh, they create life. And, uh, and so, yeah, there's a transfer from two people into another person. So the Bible also tells us that the Lord... Oh, one more thing I'd say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how man was created in the very first place. Mm -hmm. You know, life came from life. God breathed the breath of life into man. That's right. uh, Death doesn't uh, create life in the biological uh, scheme of things. Life creates life. Mm -hmm. So That's good. So the Bible also tells us that the Lord knows us before we're actually conceived in Isaiah 49.1. Mm-hmm. 
Because Isaiah says, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He has spoken my name. Yeah. And then here's one that you mentioned mm -hmm. in Psalm 139 it's from King David. He says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praised you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to say, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow. It's amazing. Isn't that awesome? The foreknowledge of God. You mm -hmm. know, you can't take the foreknowledge of God out of this. The Bible's telling us about it, that God plays this amazing role in the creation of every life. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can see the downward transfer. Life came from God. Mm -hmm. He breathed it into humanity. And then life is passed down through humanity from one to the, to, to the other. And so for a life to be created in a woman's womb, this is what I was thinking about. For a life to be created there, God had to be involved in it. That's right. Because it all originated with him. Mm-hmm. So no matter how it is originated, it's not wasted. You know, we look at some lives and we judge by the way that they're, they come into the world that they're not any good. They're not any good. But when you think about where life originated in the front, first place, it's only it originated from he who is good. That's right. And so uh, to look at a life and say, well, it's, it's a product of a bad union, uh, therefore the life itself is is going to be bad discounts and disconnects that life from the very source itself and if you do that we start making mistakes mm -hmm. so it sounds like the lord has much to do with the formation of our human existence all life originally all yeah. life comes from him originally yeah it, it it originates with him so and that's you know the formation of our human existence before we're ever conceived, he has a lot to do with. Yes, uh, he does. The Bible says that the destiny, your destiny, your destiny, those of you that are out there listening, your destiny uh, has been carefully crafted uh, since before the foundation of the world. Well, that tells you that God is involved in that crafting, and so therefore he must be involved in seeing that it comes to pass. Well, you know, he's doing that in every single life. Uh, you know, uh, there, with God, there's no bad life. You understand what right. I'm saying? There's mm -hmm. no bad life. Uh, it's only us who look at the circumstances through which something comes to, to, into, into being and go, that's bad. That, because it came from a, what we consider a bad source. But when you consider that life originates from God, then you can see that whatever is produced in the womb there has the ability through its connection to God or through a connection to God to be used powerfully for good. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make good. any sense? It does. So when you take, when you take the, when you take the human, the physical human source out of it, out yes. of life, you take the human source out of life. Yes. And you, you replace that with the divine source of life. Yes. Now all life in has, the womb has value. Has value. Yeah. And I, when we say this, folks, please understand, we are not in any way 
downplaying the, the trauma of incest, rape, any of those things. Those things are traumatic mm -hmm. and they're sinful. What we are saying, though, is the fruit of the womb, as the scripture says, can be a reward no matter the circumstances that it comes into this mm -hmm. earth, uh, no matter the agents it comes through. Right. It's kind of like me. There's other scriptures that said I was born in sin. I was born as a product of my parents, of course, relationship uh, with one another. And I was born with a sin nature that was passed down to me from my parents. Mm -hmm. That sin nature goes way, way back to the, to the original sin. But because I was born with a sin nature, God could see past that, not denying the reality of it, but seeing past that and saying a connection to the author of life can make this life overcome sin and become something that is beneficial to this earth. That's good. That is really good. And so when a woman or a man, when they make the decision to terminate a pregnancy, that decision appears to go against what the Lord values, and the Lord obviously values life. Yes, I would say, and once again, I'm not downplaying anything anybody's been through. I'm talking about the abortive process. It appears to, to go against the Scripture, yeah. So we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So God created man and woman. He gave them a, a command to be fruitful and multiply. That means have children. Mm -hmm. All right? Mm -hmm. He didn't say be fruitful and multiply unless it gets in the way of your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. He didn't say be fruitful and multiply unless it creates a burden on your finances. Mm -hmm. He didn't say be, be fruitful as much as you want to and then gave them the choice on whether they could multiply or not. Mm-hmm. He commanded humankind to be fruitful and multiply, which means get pregnant and have children. Yeah, that was God's original design and, and uh, spoken purpose into humanity, yes. Yeah, so it sounds like from, from that perspective, God is pro-life. Yeah. Okay. But there is a side to God that is pro-choice when it comes to making decisions and choices in our lives. Yeah. All right? Since the Lord gave us the gift of free will, we all have the ability to choose. We can choose life. We can choose death. We can choose not to believe in God. We have the ability to choose whatever we want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, that reminds me of so much of, of, of Joshua in the Scriptures. Mm -hmm. You know, Joshua, uh, talking to the people of Israel, said, I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. He says, it's your choice as to which one you choose. He said, uh, choose life so that you and your children may live mm -hmm. uh, and may not suffer the consequences of sin. But yeah, the, the choice is there and it's ours. And, and uh, you know, in that choice, God will not violate uh, that, that choice. Uh, now, will we have to answer for our choices? That's, that's the question. Yes, but we still have the element of choice. So I think God makes it pretty clear that if we choose his path, his ways, his direction, and his will, 
we will be blessed and not cursed. Mm-hmm. We'll live, not die. Mm-hmm. So it looks like God is both pro-choice and pro-life. If we choose him, we live. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Mm-hmm. And so we get this statement a lot when we talk about God you know, being against abortion. People say that if God is against abortion, which you Christians consider murder, is what they say, then how is it that God wiped out all those people in the Old Testament? I mean, after all, if God is pro-life, then why murder thousands of people, including all the firstborn of the Egyptians in Exodus? Mm-hmm. I've heard that. You know, it's a pretty simple answer. I've heard that about. question. Yeah, the answer, if you back up and get your own agenda out of the way, and begin to look at things truthfully. And what? And please, I know I said that. And you said, well, that's you're saying truthfully because that's your agenda. No. When you begin to back up and look at the way God spun things in order, then you'll be able to see uh, exactly why those things happen. And so here, here's, here's kind of another way to look at it, too. If God gives his creation the ability to choose... And a choice to choose him as their God, but they don't. They rebel and they turn away from an all powerful being who has the ability to wipe out the entire universe with a whisper. Who's to blame for them perishing? I mean, is it not those that made the choice to turn away from God? Yeah, you know, it's basically, um, you know, God. God doesn't judge you. God just lets you have what you choose. Uh, And if you choose to be allied uh, with sin and, and the sin and the judgments of sin, then he will, you know, he will allow you to, to have, to, to have that choice. And that choice, what the choosing of sin is we know is brings death Mm -hmm. Uh, physically, and, and often spiritually as well. I mean, spiritually for sure, but mm-hmm. sometimes physically as well. So, you know, that that's basically the truth. I mean, God is just saying, you know, it's like Joshua said, choose life or death. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hope you choose life, but I'm not going to interfere. The choice is yours. Right. And so when you talk about when, when, when people bring this, this into the argument, when they say, well, what about all the firstborn of the Egyptians. Well, did you know that the Egyptians were descendants of Ham mm-hmm. from Noah? Ham knew firsthand that God existed, mm-hmm. that he was the only true God, yet somewhere down the line, the descendants of Ham turned away and they rebelled. Mm-hmm. Yep. They took on other gods. Yep, they did. And so okay, that's the Egyptians, so they bore the consequences of turning away and rebelling from an all-powerful God. Mm-hmm. And then as you were talking about Joshua entering into the land of Canaan and defeating Jericho and, you know, having to wipe out those, those communities and peoples, the Canaanites were also descendants of Canaan, whose father was Ham, mm-hmm. who That's we right. just mentioned rebelled against God, and they were following other gods such as Baal, Ashtaroth, Chemosh, and Molech. And so... Here we go again. I mean, it's like you have the choice to choose mm-hmm. this day whom you will serve. <laughs> yeah. And if you choose God, then you're blessed. You're not cursed. 
But if you don't, if you choose to go after other things, knowing that God is only one God, then you're choosing your own consequences. Yeah, you know, Jesus put it in even more incredible terms uh, when he was talking to the to the Israelis uh, one day about their own about their own rebellion. You know, he, you know, they tried to say, "Hey, we're children of God," and and the Lord said, "If you were children of God, then you would recognize the family." Mm-hmm. Because God is a, from a relational God, mm-hmm. and I'm his son. I came from him, and if you were a part of the family, we would know one another. We, we would recognize one another. Mm-hmm. He says, if you don't recognize me, then that means you're in another family. Uh, you're of your father, the devil, mm-hmm. and you do, what, you do the works that your father uh, uh, does mm-hmm. and did. Do. He was a rebel and a murderer from the very beginning. Yeah. And so, you know... Uh, it, it, it's who are we related to and, and what, what uh, uh, desires are flowing through our life, uh, you know, because our, in Jesus' terms, our desire comes from whom we're related to, what spirit we're of. And so, you know, it's like uh, if you're going to spend time, you know, you're going to be where your family is. Mm-hmm. That's where, where you're going to be destined to end up. And so, you know, if you do, if you don't want to end up where, where Satan is, then you don't want to be in his family. Uh, hmm. I know. So uh, it's pretty interesting. So everywhere you look in the Bible where God either killed or commanded groups of people to be killed, it was because of their choices, not because God is not pro-life. He is pro-life. Yeah, I've heard the thing about the, you know, the Egyptian children where God killed all the firstborn. Well, there were nine opportunities Mm -hmm. at least given to them where God revealed him to them, him revealed himself to the Egyptians Mm -hmm. very clearly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at least nine opportunities. And uh, so it wasn't without the ability to choose. Right. So in that sense, God is Mm pro-choice. He doesn't force anybody to obey him. You either do and you live a happy joyful life or you don't and you face the consequences of your choices mm-hmm. and so how does abortion play into this we already established that god places a great deal of value on unborn children who are in their mother's wombs so let's look at how much value he places on them living mm-hmm. when the israelites left egypt and were about to enter the land of canaan god spoke to moses and gave them some pretty stern warnings about children in leviticus Chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, God tells the Israelites through Moses the following, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. Mm-hmm. Now, Molech was a Canaanite god right. that required costly sacrifice, namely children. Mm-hmm. Not only did God say that anyone who killed their children must be put to death, he also tells them how they must die, and it's not an easy or pleasant mm-hmm. death. He says the people of the land shall stone stone him with stones. Mm-hmm. Yep. He goes on to say, and this is God, I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to, uh, to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do it all, close their eyes to that man. And this is the important part. Mm-hmm. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, 
Then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. Mm. So not only does God command that anyone who kills their children must be stoned to death, he goes on to say that anyone who turns a blind eye to it will be cut off. But not just the one who turns a blind eye, but also, and, and this is really, really important, also anyone who follows them. Hmm. This is yeah. a message to the indifferent crowd, mm-hmm. to those who have no position either way. Basically, if you are indifferent to abortion, then you're in the camp of turning a blind eye to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Bible also says in the book of uh, Proverbs, it says, rescue those who are being staggering towards slaughter. Mm. And it says, if you turn away from that and say, we did not know it, or we didn't do anything about it, then those people were to be answerable for the Lord. Now, I know we're about to tread here into some, what what some people say is not the church's job, Mm -hmm. but we're going to do it anyway. We don't shy away from controversy. If you say, so here's how this works. If you say you're pro-life and you're against abortion, yet you vote for people to be in leadership over you who are pro-choice, pro-abortion, aren't you also guilty of turning a blind eye? So your state of position doesn't matter. I mean, who you follow matters. Right. I Number one, when we first started this conversation, we talked about the fallacy of that of abortion being federally mandated or protected. Right it's not it's not okay uh number two so therefore there are people out there who who vote for candidates who are pro-abortion and say i'm not really for abortion i just think that it's a federally protected right well well it's not okay it's not and uh, the second thing though is if you're a believer and you believe in the gospel and the bible uh I just don't see how you could wash support for the abortion agenda through the Bible and have it come out okay on the other side. Uh, with all the scriptures that we see and know, it, it, it just is, the Bible is, is against uh, the death of children and the killing of children in the womb mm-hmm. or killing of children at any time. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, I agree with you. So who you follow matters. Who you follow matters. Who you vote for matters. It matters, It it has consequences. Yeah. So even if you say, well, I'm not for abortion or for same-sex marriage, but I'm voting for so-and-so who happens to be for those things, you're basically aligning yourself with their beliefs, whether you personally believe it or not. Because here's what happens, and I think this is where most people, they either just don't want to think about it or they don't know. Once you vote them into office, they will make decisions based on their belief systems. Mm-hmm. They're going to believe the voters that voted them in believe the same way they do about every issue. And so being indifferent to the decisions they make actually will make us an accomplice to those accomplices to those decisions. Yeah. And I, I hope that everybody who's kind of more on the pro-choice side out there uh, and looks at people that are pro-life and, and just thinks that they're they're terrible people. They're just the most, you know, people that have just this view, you know, that's so stern. That's, guys, that's the way that, that these people believe, okay? They believe that if they support this, uh, 
okay, that their, their supporting of it is actually making them an accomplice and being in agreement with it. And that's why most pro-life people make the, make the stand that they do. They don't want any of their tax dollars going to, to support abortions or any of those kind of things because they feel like that makes them an accomplice in it. Mm-hmm. And so just to kind of uh, phrase this another way, if I say I'm against abortion, yet I vote for someone who's pro-abortion, and let's say they win their election, they're now in office when they make decisions on matters pertaining to increasing abortions, I'm now an accomplice, and believe me, I, I will now be a part of that group that God holds accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible does say one of the indictments against Israel was God said they set up kings, mm-hmm. rulers, but not by me. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, exactly. they didn't consider my desires, my ways, and my, my plans, and my word when they set up kings. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're going to be held accountable for who we pushed in front of us to represent us. That's right. And there's another compelling scripture found in Psalm 106, verse 37, 38, which says, They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters. And so this brings up a very interesting aspect of abortion. Where did it come from? Mm-hmm. Who was the first woman to have an abortion, and how did they know how to do it? Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting question. Um, There's actually some evidence out there that may give us the answer. There is. There is. Um, you know, the first book of Enoch, it's not considered part of the canonical Bible. Right. But it was widely read, widely believed, and quoted in Christendom by Jude and the author of Hebrews, I believe. Very ancient writing. Mm-hmm. In uh, First Enoch chapter 69, verse 12, we read this about fallen angels. Now, we did a podcast on the fallen angels. Yes, we did. And so this is right in line with that. And here's what it says, quote, And the name of the fifth is Kazdea. This is the one who showed the sons of men all the evil blows of spirits and demons and the blows of the fetus in the womb so that it aborts. Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. So, you know, what Enoch is saying is... Uh, you know, the teaching about how to abort uh, fetuses or, or even the, the planting of the seed in the mind of, of humanity came from fallen angels, and that, those were demons. Mm-hmm. So Enoch, in his book, he lists the names of the chiefs of these 200 fallen angels. If you want to know more about that, go back and check out the Nephilim Code mm-hmm. and also uh, Fallen Angels. So these angels land on Mount Hermon, and according to Enoch, these fallen angels are referred to as the watchers taught the secrets to men or to, to you know, humanity that they're not supposed to know. In First Enoch chapter 8, verse 1, Asael taught men to make swords of iron and weapons, shields and breastplates and every instrument of war. He also taught about metallurgy, how to make ornaments for women, how to use eye paint that we call mascara. And so it's, it's when we get to this fallen angel named Kazdea, we read that this watcher taught men how to kill the fetus in the womb. So it, it begs the question, is that where abortion originally came from? Well, uh, you know, there's probably going to be somebody out there that says, uh, you know, I have researched the first abortion, so I can tell you where, where abortion came from. But you have to remember, that's medically uh, induced abortions. I mean... These things were being practiced 
for a long period of time. And I even read recently on the news, one of the news uh, stations, that the the, the satanic uh, association mm-hmm. of, of satanic worshipers in here in the United States, uh, if abortion is overturned uh, as a federal mandate, they're going to require they're going to apply for a religious exemption. Uh, I saw that too because they want to be able to use uh, fetuses out of the womb as part of their their religious rituals. Hmm. And that's funny that you bring that up because there there is this interesting connection between Psalm 106, which describes sacrificing children to demons, mm-hmm. and this idea from Enoch that abortions were taught by the watchers, who are also referred to as the daemons or mm-hmm. demons, which means that term just means ones with, uh, ones with knowledge. So either way, it appears from the scriptures we read and, and many more that are in the Bible that God is not a fan of killing children. No whether in or out of the womb. No, he's not. Hmm. And he's not in favor of people who turn a blind eye to it either. No, hmm. I would say all the evidence out of the Scripture says uh, that those that just turned a blind eye to it are, uh, you know, they're going to to pay the penalty as well. You know, the, the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel, uh, talked about some of the same things. I mean, we we can't just stand by and and not do anything when we know things are wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an old saying: "Was that evil prospers when good men do nothing?" That's right. And so, what does this all really mean? Well, the question in the very beginning is this: Is God pro-choice? Well, He is. He gave us free will to choose how we live our lives. However, this doesn't mean that our choices will never have consequences. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. God has made his will for our children, both in the womb and who have been born known. Mm-hmm. They're set apart as a reward. He values the life of the unborn and the born. God made it clear that ending the life of a child as a sacrifice will result in negative consequences. Made that very clear. But then you say, well, wait a second. You just said ending the life of a child as a sacrifice uh, abortion is not the same as sacrificing a child to a demon or idols. Is well, it? yeah, there'd be a lot of people that would say that. Yeah, you're ridiculous. It, what what you guys have been talking about uh, that has been happening since antiquity is much different from abortion that goes on today. Mm-hmm. Or is it? Because uh, think, there is a yeah. 2021 study. Okay, that has come out, cited by VeryWellHealth.com. The researchers compiled the top reasons why women choose to have abortions. And 40% say it's because they are not financially prepared. Okay. 36% say that it's because it's bad timing, they're not ready, or it's unplanned. Mm-hmm. 20% say that it's because they need to focus on their careers or their education. Mm-hmm. So when you look at those collectively, um, you could say there's a, there's a large percentage of women who choose abortions and men um, because they're thinking more in terms about themselves and they're not considering, or perhaps they're not considering the the life that's in the womb. They're certainly placing uh, their own, the value of their own life above the one that they're carrying Mm -hmm. or the one that they're, they've initiated. So let me ask you this from, from, from the perspective of a believer in Christ, when we make ourselves first, aren't we essentially making ourselves an idol? Mm-hmm. 
If we're first in all things. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is true. And believe me, I am not, when I say that, I'm not downplaying how tough things can be. Sometimes when you do the right thing, it is tough. Mm -hmm. But, but what I'm just, what I'm saying is, is that when we put ourselves first above everything else, that is a form of idolatry according to the scripture. It is. And so if you, if that's the reason why you've sought abortions or had, or had an abortion, then essentially you're sacrificing the life of the child inside of you for yourself, which is the opposite of God's plan and purposes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all throughout the Bible, you know this more than anybody, that, that God explains that we are to put others before ourselves. So when we do that, then we're living righteously mm -hmm. and we're living godly lives. Yeah. When we put ourselves before others, we're, we are, we're, we're not living just for us. I mean, we're serving others. But if we put ourselves before others, then we're kind of selfish. We're arrogant. Yeah, that, that's the definition of selfishness. We're yeah. haughty. Mm -hmm. We're self-absorbed. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we're narcissistic people. And there is, a, there, there is some spiritual value to self-care, mm -hmm. taking care of yourself. But that means taking care of, of what God purchased, what God shed his blood for. Because if God loves you, then part of receiving that love is taking care of yourself. That's right. But it's never at the expense of others. Mm -hmm. That's good. And so when you look at it, when we just cited all those percentages, um, the reality appears to be that the top reasons women choose abortions and men is not based on health reasons. No, if you add all that up, it looks like that 4% or less, or less, half uh, abortions are because of health reasons. And so when, when activists put forth this idea that this is, that, that overturning Roe v. Wade will somehow limit uh, the access to women's health services, that's just the bold lie. I mean, that's an outright lie. Yeah. I, yes. Exactly. And uh, uh, that's the way, that's exactly what it is. I mean, you can't say it any other way. Mm. So what do we say to those women who have chosen to have an abortion and they now regret it? Boy, I tell you, uh, some of you don't know my story. Of course, I'm not a, uh, a woman, but I paid for an abortion years ago uh, uh, before I knew the Lord. And, uh, after I became saved, well, it always bothered me. Mm -hmm. I tried to push it down. I just tried to ignore it, tried not to think about it, but it always bothered me. Uh, and then after I knew the Lord, after he saved me, all of a sudden that really came to the forefront. And, I, and what I had done uh, came to the forefront. But let me tell you, uh, I went through some real healing over that and God really loved on me and, and healed me and comforted me. And, uh, if he did that for me, he's going to do that for every person, man or woman who have uh, been a part of this. It's not the unpardonable sin. Um, you know, when the gravity comes onto you, the biblical gravity, it's tough, but it's not the unpardonable. 
sin and Jesus loves you and he wants you to be free and healed uh, and delivered from any guilt, shame, and pain that you feel. And so, uh, God, if you call out on the Lord over that, God will help you and he'll touch you. Amen. And so if, if that's you, if you're listening to this podcast or if you're watching and, and you at some point in your life chose to have an abortion and you regret it, which I think most, most people, when they are very honest and, and candid with themselves, they like you, they, they felt bad about it. I don't know how you couldn't. Um, but if that's you, um, and you would like for someone to walk with you through the, the grief or, you know, whatever you're experiencing, uh, you can reach out to us info at capstone.church and just provide a little bit of detail as far as, you know, how we can get in contact with you through email is fine. And we will definitely pray for you, pray yeah. with you. Um, and so just know that you're, you don't have to walk through this alone. And right. if you are currently pregnant and you're considering, considering getting an abortion, I'd like to point you to the pregnancy health center, the help center. This is a, an organization that helps pregnant women, um, that helps them. Well, you know more about it. I mean, Rhonda's on the board. Yeah. Uh, this is a, the churches all over the United States have created these ministries that are there to help women that have unplanned mm -hmm. pregnancies and uh, men and women, and uh, not that men are carrying the child, but men and women that are going through that together. And uh, there will be one in a lot of communities. And if there's not one in your community, there will be one in a community close to you. And uh, they're there to help, uh, help people going through that. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, sometimes uh, girls that have gotten pregnant, uh, their family kicks them out, rejects them. The Pregnancy Help Center helps them. They help them find a place to live, a place to stay. And they become their family mm -hmm. uh, during this period of time. So uh, there's, there's help out there for you and there's support if, if that's where you are. And they provide health services to you. Yes, to they do. They provide health services, get you in to see a doctor and yes. Mm -hmm. Sonograms. Like yes, yes. All of those things, yeah. All right, well, thank you, Pastor Parkey. Thank you. This was a tough subject. It is, but it's a part of our life. It's part of a life that we live. And, uh, you know, uh, we're with you uh, no matter where you are. Uh, so please remember that. And uh, thank you for listening today. Uh, thank you. And remember, stay in the word, stay alert, and be not deceived. God bless you guys. We love you. Yeah.